Welcome to Game Theory Podcast, Episode 3, Quality and Value, with Brian Fife, Jim Fingal, and Tom Westberg. So, what do we want to start with today? What have you been playing? Oh. I've been playing a little bit of Tribes. I started playing World of Tanks again, and that's been good. It's, it's been fun. And I also downloaded Majesty. On the iPhone. Majesty? Yeah, it's an interesting game. I I actually have Majesty 2 on the PC. It's an RTS-type game, but Mm -hmm. you don't get to control any of the heroes. There's an interesting game, Evil Genius. Evil Genius, okay. Yeah, but it was... The the problem with that game was when a bad guy came into your base, it was like a a base game or like a city-building game or one of those things. When a bad guy came into your base, you had to explicitly tag him or he wouldn't be attacked. <laughs> that sounds like fodder for the AI conversation that we had last week. Yeah, so it's just incredibly fiddling. You know that the Steam Summer Sale is going on now. <laughs> and you know what the rules for the, the Steam Summer Sale are? I have a friend who, every time there's a Steam Summer Sale, he posts the advice. He says that huge discounts for you gamer dorks, huge. But to maximize your bucks, follow these two simple rules. A, if the game is not either a daily deal, flash deal, or community flash deal, do not buy. The game may be discounted now, but will be discounted far further should they be made one of the above deals. And yes, that happens a lot. B, but what if you want a game that is not one of these deals, but still discounted? Buy on the last day. A slew of last-minute deals will appear, and it will be the last hurrah. If it isn't any further discounted by this day, it won't be, and feel free to buy. Of course, all I read was that the Steam Summer Sale was going on, and I went on and I bought all the games that I wanted. Apparently, I didn't take that advice. So I, I ended up getting Harvest Massive Encounter, which looked like a cool like little RTS that, that in, involves overwhelming odds of, of alien attacking you in in massive numbers this is serious sam meets starcraft it's not like it doesn't appear to be there's a little bit of of humor in it the but it's they're very slow moving bad guys you can have a lot going on 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 the screen i've only played it for for maybe like 45 minutes but it's pretty fun so far you can build up your like base you build up uh, a network of defensive towers you send energy through through these these pyramids that are generating sort of sun energy that you have to have these relays that you send the energy through so your whole base has to be networked together to to fuel new buildings or existing buildings you know, i looked at uh, this one but i didn't get it it was pretty fun while i was playing $2.50. I don't think I can afford not to get it. Yeah. Also, Space Pirates and Zombies, which has been only available for, for Windows for a while, which looks sort of like 2D Eve, but but not a massively multiplayer online game. So basically just a space game. Well, that's that's kind of like the uh, Urquan Masters, which was one I couldn't remember last time. Tom, you bought anything yet? No, I've managed to, to uh, avoid it. Thank you, Sophie. But I, 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 you both managed to miss out on Skyrim, right? Well, Jim already has Skyrim. Oh, he did. Okay. I, I consider that I've played it through the amount that I've watched Krista play it, <laughs> and I, and I have no interest in playing it more than more than that. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. I stand alone then. 
I, 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 I lost a good portion of my sophomore year of college to Tomorrowind, uh, and I, I know not to uh, to go back. I, I bought The Witcher 2. I bought From Dust, which I know is going to be disappointing to me, but I still had to do it. Now, Krista played that one, didn't she? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that one, but uh, I haven't played it. That's a Ubisoft game. But yeah, my other ones, I got Splice, Scorgasm, Dear Esther, and Offspring Fling. Dear Esther also, I think, only recently available for Mac. That I feel like I've been missing out on the debate of whether or not it's it's a game or not. I have to say I'm impressed with the number of titles that are showing up on the Mac. It's really nice to sort of log in, and these, these games I bought speculatively on the PC are now there on the Mac. Are they all wine conversions or actually people doing native? I think it's often wine. But, you know, didn't isn't that sort of the Mac, the, the official Apple-sanctioned way to get it done? Apple Cider, they had some name for it. Yeah, I don't think they, they it's sanctioned as in it's by Apple, but, yeah, they, they don't do much else. They talked about games. it in an Apple keynote. That That's what I mean by sanction. It was sort of a thing that they did when they were announcing some EA titles that were being released. Oh, that's true. It may be the best we get, and I, so I should stop whining about it. I think a better <laughs> thing to complain about are the games that still have that essence of Xbox port. <laughs> Is this supposed to go the other direction? It's supposed to, but it doesn't. I mean, if, if you're going to make a console game, it makes a lot of sense to have the experience be dominated by the limitations of the console. Skyrim had that problem, right, Tom? Skyrim had noticeable control limitations, yes. But they had done that with Oblivion, too. But the prevailing theory was that was because they 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 had to make it work with the controller, and so there's a lot of heavily nested stuff, right? Yes. The uh, the new Borderlands UI looks pretty good. They, they've classed it up. I'm not sure that it's any better, but do you see the trailers? No, I haven't. Ah, uh, Borderlands. We're not here to talk about Borderlands today. <laughs> I, I actually did buy and am playing Special Ops: The Line, thanks to your sarcastic uh, post. Uh, so, about- are you are you are you being put in the middle of unspeakable situations? Well, I I am, but the problem is is that I don't really have any meaningful choice about them. <laughs> it's the it seemed like from the the promotional material that I was going to be, you know, morally challenged uh, being placed in this game where there are no right choices. Uh, but the problem is, is that um, there are no choices. <laughs> so if it, it feels like, you know, there, there are some intense scenes and things that, that you do that don't really feel like, feel heroic. But for example, you're you're given the the quote unquote choice to shoot white white phosphorus over you know a whole platoon of American soldiers, but you're not really given any ammo or or a way around them so that you can't actually get past it without doing that. And for whatever reason, the like it's it's like it's squad based in the in the sense that you have two backup guys, and you as the protagonist. Or the, the the character that you control is sort of totally inhuman and never has any like real emotional reactions to things. Not in a mean or callous way, but just you know cheerfully saying that we have to move on and finish the mission after 
I just destroyed a platoon of American soldiers and, by the way, also killed a bunch of civilians with white phosphorus. So that doesn't really jive with the idea that you're supposed to be having this sort of like emotional conflicted experience with, with what you're doing. Yeah, I read a blog post and I'm trying was trying to find the blog and and have forgotten which it was because from my RSS feeds that essentially described the line as trying to have it both ways on the whole morality question, putting you in lots of questionable situations and that are supposedly emotionally wrenching, but then having all of the actual game mechanics be about frantic headshots and so forth. That was the No High Scores review. That was the No High Scores review. Ultimately reading that, it just made me feel that he wanted, the the game designers wanted to pretend they're being slightly artistic about it, but that it's still about violence porn and you really can't get beyond that. That the, The fundamental thing is a glorification of violence, but at the end of it, we, we want to have somebody look sad. Yeah, war is hell, but you get an achievement for knifing 20 people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the fact that the the rebel uh, American commander who, you know, has has crossed over the dark side's name is Conrad is, uh, is sort of painful. <laughs> the other comment about the game in general is that it is a very formulaic or derivative shooter. You know, the gameplay isn't that much fun or novel. That's true. A- any game with a sniper rifle is has a, a baseline level of fun, but novel is, is certainly not a word I would use to describe the gameplay. We, we could spend a lot of time talking about what it is about sniper rifles that are like that are like candy to us all. I, I feel it too, but I don't know why. There are entire games dedicated to the, uh, the sniper rifle. S- separate game franchises. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I was very interested in the Binding of Isaac, but I'm not. I'm not going to buy that game. You're not going to buy it? No, just because I'm not going to play it. Because it, there's this gro- this gratuitous gross-out element to it that I. It's not clear to me, and I had talked to to Will, um, Tom, who who bought it. You know, he says, "Yeah, it's a good game," but you know, there's this whole gross-out element, and it doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't add anything to the game. It it's not like I mean you could argue that South Park and what they do, the the shock value is a part of their shtick or their mission, right? Well, I, I've played the Binding of Isaac a bit. I guess the reason why I'm not as into it is I feel like there's something something in me that thinks that procedurally generated games are cool, but then on the other hand, it makes me not that interested in playing it because I'm I'm interested in more authorial voice. But it did feel, I don't know, amusing or different to to have that sort of gross-out feel to a game that is basically Zelda, but taking a sort of game that you would have played with, or at least for me, that I played when I was much younger, and putting a sort of dark, gross twist on it. Yeah, I just, you know, not clear that I'm in the mood for it, I guess is where I was coming from. Yeah, you got a kid... My days are long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also, I also ordered Max Payne three along with Special Ops the Line, Special Ops the Line. So maybe that will at least live up to its its glorification of action. And that's that's on the the Steam sale as well. Yeah, I got it. Of course, on on Xbox. 
Yeah. At least it's not apologetic about its yes. <laughs> action, yes. The line sort of reminded me of, of the movie Gladiator. That was both essentially violence porn in a movie and we're essentially getting off to this and uh, making commentary about how bad this was. And, of course, we, here we are in the theater watching all, all of this, and th- they're trying to have it all ways, including getting the movie ticket admission price. And that was, I think, the, a critique of, of Hunger Games, the movie I heard at least tossed around the office. In reading the books, I felt complicit with the capital in, in that I was reading the second book and I just couldn't wait for them to get back to the Hunger Games because that was the only interesting part. That felt like part of the books making you aware that you were coming to them to be thrilled and entertained in that matter. But the movies didn't really seem interested in exploring that aspect of the, the, the narrative. Yeah, without, without uh, Katniss's internal narrative. In, in the books, you can tell she's becoming dehumanized and going a little bit crazy and is no longer, by the third book, really relatable as a person is sort of turned into a bit of a, a machine finely tuned for survival. As a reader, are are able to, to sort of track the, the difference in that and also it she becomes a bit less sympathetic and less like you're uh, you're totally invested in, in in what she's doing, and she's the stand-in for for the reader. Uh, whereas in in the movies, or, or rather the movie, it was very much wanted to win. Didn't really get the internal narrative of of her her character changing. And so that's how you can relate the Hunger Games to Special Ops: The Line. <laughs> Have you guys ever had a uh, bespoke suit? I haven't. No, I've heard that that they fit really well. Yeah, it's not only a a different kind of fit and a different kind of experience, but the quality is typically a lot better, and so it's something you can wear for a lot longer. And you go to a a custom tailor, and they, they point out a lot of things like, you know, one arm is longer than the other, and so forth. It's always getting to be a certain age. It's about time for us to get her first Tanuki suit, and we're very excited about that. A, a bespoke Tanuki suit. They're all bespoke. I mean, Tanuki is a master tailor. That, that's that's where they get their, their name from. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people really associate it directly with the raccoon tail and the flying, which you know, is kind of a big deal. The, the fine tailors at Tanuki and Company asked us to talk for a few minutes about the work that they do. They're available on the web now, and you can contact them directly. You don't have to be there in person for a fitting, but it does help. And one of the things they do with people that are out of town, you can you know take some measurements at a local tailor, mail it in, along with a few photographs of yourself, and they'll do the initial rough cut of the fabric. And then when you're visiting Koopaland, they can actually do the final measurements and fitting with you. Then they'll mail you the, the final suit. Can you send them a, a stone sculpture of yourself to, for, to get a fitting? Well, that, that's another way of doing it. They're looking at laser beams right now as a way to make that happen. We, we only actually managed to fit in one sponsor today, but I did want to thank Tanuki and company, the fine tailors and folks there. Thanks, guys. So, Tom, what have you been playing? 
absolutely nothing. I may not have touched a video game since we last did a podcast. That's it. You're out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Talk about not doing homework. Well, it does kind of bring into relief how little we sometimes play games when you think about, like, I, I probably ought to get some new material here. Yeah. Well, and that what, what's interesting is I think one of the things that idea that we we tossed around as an idea for what we can talk about today is the idea of both quality in games but also value in games. When Journey came out, it was critiqued by some for being a a pretty short game. It cost fifteen dollars and maybe three or four hours long, uh, depending on uh, how long you. Uh, dawdled in, in the sand. But then there was a counter critique against that, which was basically three to four hour game is a perfect length for a busy adult who wants to have a good experience. <laughs> yeah, those of us who will spend ten bucks for a two hour movie. It yeah. doesn't really doesn't really sound that bad. Well and what it's it's interesting that the movie for whatever reason has become the currency for you know, how much we're willing to, to spend for two hours of time. And so when you can almost feel the, the calculation happening whenever the critique comes up in, in game reviews of, of games being too short of like, if this is a 60, $60 games, how many hours do I need to divide that by for it to be the same as, as movie entertainment? Whereas that sort of critique rarely is brought up for books, for example, or, in some extreme cases, it could happen for music, but it's for for whatever reason. Well, the, music's commoditized more or less, isn't it? Yeah, the the I, I guess it's it's less. I think there's this idea that a certain amount of money for a certain amount of time puts it in this category of entertainment, where you're you're trading a certain amount of money for being occupied for for those hours. Whereas for for books, often the the idea is that it's going to, you know, take you a while, but I think that's good because I, I I'm having problems with the notion of it's just us being occupied for a fine, a specific amount of time. I, although all, although with uh, flow and journey and so forth, maybe I'll accept that's what you end up with. Video games are supposed to be, and movies and and books and so forth, are supposed to be entertaining and stimulating in some specific way. That isn't just a stopwatch. Okay. It gets back to this idea of of whether or not something is you know, entertainment versus art, or is it is it high or is it low culture. Uh, this idea of, I mean, as you said, like whether or not it's a it's a stopwatch, you're it's a carnival game that you're you're happy to to, to spend a certain amount of of money like there or, or at the theme park or whatnot to to get your thrills for a certain amount of time. There's some people who are sort of happy having games in, in that category and and sort of react against the idea that uh, it has to. You, there has to be some sort of like takeaway or, or growth in it, but I think for certainly for me and it sounds like you guys as well. Whenever we talk about games that that we really like, the, we keep coming back to the phrase that that the game you know changed the way that you thought about the world or or you know saw the world or what what you thought was possible for for games, which is uh, implies. Th- you know, not just the the stopwatch for 
for the number of hours that you you spent playing the game, uh, which for whatever reason keeps you know monetary exchange for for time keeps coming back in in reviews of games, but uh, the idea that there's some sort of growth that goes along with it that you as the player experience that then becomes much harder to monetize or, or put a, a judgment on whether or not did I grow like 10 points playing special ops versus 60 points playing braid at that point the idea of I guess value in the economic sense seems to break down in the same way that it's hard to put a value on a large swath of 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 literature whether or not you rarely hear people saying oh that book you know wasn't worth $12 or $14. Yeah, in fact, there are a lot of very short books that it's a virtue. Nobody ever says, I wish that it was longer because I spent a lot of money on it. Some people feel like certain things are cut short, but that's a separate issue. Yeah, you might say it's not worth buying, buying the hardback, but that's a sort of uh, a binary. <laughs> well, I mean, no, one of the criticisms of some movies is like, you know, I... I felt like it was unfinished. You know, I felt like it. Th- there was more that I wanted to see. But that's very rarely the case. It's more often the case I felt like they could have finished 30 minutes before the movie ended. <laughs> well, and then there are games, I so you, you mentioned avoiding Skyrim, essentially games that can be compulsive. So you absolutely would get your $5 per hour out of a Skyrim and more. And you're, you, you're almost afraid of that. And I think Diablo is another example of a, a type of game that people just end up feeling that maybe they're a slave to the game rather than having a good time. And I don't know how you end up crossing over that line, but it's clear there are games like that that uh, uh, hit people in that way. Yeah, well, I also, yeah, I think that for, for me, we talked about Eve, played a little bit of Eve and then stopped playing it because I think that I've, what I recognized in it is that the game is, is fun to play and I could see myself playing it for long periods of time. But for me, it's less monetary and more time spent to, to growth or world changing experience. (laughs) You could play that game for a hundred or two hundred hours and for me, the the sort of feeling walking away having spent that time on on the game the sheer amount of time spent starts to push it over into the stopwatch zone <laughs> versus shorter games that feel like there's a there's a denser i guess internal reward in in the sense of what i've you know learned or experienced having spent time playing the game so for me it's 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 more the currency that that i care about for for those sorts of things is time because as we said it's it's hard to to find time to to play games there's a great article on Ars Technica called Blizzard Admit, Admits Diablo, Diablo 3 is a game that ends did you guys see that I didn't know <laughs> it sort of talked about people bitching about the fact that I've, I've spent 500 hours in the game and now the experience is crap and it's really lame and they're just like are you kidding me and they they invoke the whole dollars per hours metric. Trying to but dollars to, dollars per hour is also a way that I often justify buying <laughs> iPhone games. As as all the things we talk about, it's it's some sort of continuum where once it it goes over the the really inexpensive monetarily, you're much more willing to sort of give things a a, a chance or or pay money for for a short game. 
there's an explicit justification of oh I'll spend I'll spend a dollar on this game because it's pocket change. We have an acquaintance and you're talking about a game on the Steam sale and the person was talking about well maybe I should wait because it'll go on sale more and blah blah blah. We're talking about five bucks here. Yeah. Like I know I know it all adds up, but it's sort of like uh, well Paul Paul has this attitude. Yeah, I'm going to play even. I may not like it or whatever, but I'm going to buy a few months' worth of it because they're doing good work and I want to support them. Just I want the whole game's ecosystem to be healthy. And so I don't mind putting a little money into that system. It's like the idea of uh, this, this past weekend I was in uh, Wilmington, Vermont, which is hard hit by Hurricane Irene and, and many of the businesses have closed. So that was partially used to justify spending a bunch of money at the independent bookstore there. <laughs> the idea that through consuming, you're doing a, a virtuous act. Br- bringing in the, the term consuming gives it a sort of sinister light, but at the same time, you are monetarily rewarding people who are doing things that you think are interesting or could later on down the line be interesting. Yeah. And as you were talking about games and how much time you spend, you know, I was thinking of a thirst that can be quenched. Playing Eve for two months you get perspective on all the things in the game that they're doing very, very different from a lot of other massive games. And the experience of kind of having that perspective and seeing the different things is is valuable, even if I don't need to beat the game, because they introduce a concept or something you hadn't thought about before. Well, yeah, they can change your perspective about the, the medium in the same way that a very experimental short story or more novel could change your your idea of how narrative works but not necessarily be your favorite yeah or you don't need you don't need replay value yeah someone who sort of pushes the borders a bit uh, the flag has been put in the ground for other people to 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 iterate on and until the most interesting expression of of that advancement is found (laughs) i'd imagine that this is something that in the context of books or movies we've largely internalized to a point where we don't think about it anymore. We, we've internalized it in the sense that it's sort of automatic in the choices that we make, or we don't, we don't to, think we about don't it. We need to talk about it. People reclaiming game as entertainment in response to the critique that, that that's all they are. You're trying to criticize the medium I enjoy along certain criteria, but really what you don't understand is is that's part of the meaningfulness of it. I imagine in a similar way that that television, for example, was was critiqued as as being sort of brainless. And television was and often is brainless. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, the and maybe that's the. <laughs> I, the thing is, you can sort of have it all. There are good games that are artistically interesting. There is The Sopranos, and there is Starsky and Hutch, and they're both television. And one is something that, and they're both violent television shows, but one is something that most critics and viewers would, would say is artistically interesting as well as entertaining with the violence and language and sex and so, so forth. And the other is not looked upon as, as a great icon of its time. We, we can stay away from the games as art concept by just talking about level of craftsmanship or quality as well, right? I had a I had a minor epiphany, which I'm sure anybody that has looked into popular media would roll their eyes at. 
people are always going to want to watch crap TV just because it's new. The drive to watch stuff that is contemporary and relevant and has never been seen before is a big a big driver. Is it because it's new or is it because, and, and, and it's partially because it's new, but because your friends are watching it and, and it's draw, you're drawn in uh, as, as part of the social experience, which also happens with games? I think it's it's all those things. Yeah, it's it's a shared cultural ex, you know experience. It's something you hadn't seen before. You know, I guess the I sort of say you know even if you don't talk to people about it necessarily, it sort of has references that are contemporary. I mean, the old joke about like watching a Murphy Brown episode. Somebody who's was was born after it aired or whatever would have no idea who any of the people that they were joking about were. Murphy Brown was a television show about politics. <laughs> I want to explore this idea. I, I, I said I understand the the idea of of like having it all, and and I, for the majority of of what I guess the television that I consume, like that's that's sort of like what I'm going for uh, in things that are you know intelligent, but you know also can be thrilling. People certainly when watching TV. There's sometimes an enjoyment and a thrill that you know what you're you're watching is is crap and you you sort of relish in that in in the same way that you would relish eating a or a deep fried candy bar at at a at a state fair. <laughs> There's a thrill in in like knowing that I guess knowing and accepting this idea that you're you're going on a roller coaster ride and and when you're done with the ride the the experience is over and and maybe you have a memory of it but uh but doesn't doesn't really travel with you much much beyond that i've certainly watched tv where i've watched a a, a show or 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 two or three like that and and sort of not even really ironically re- reveled in that i mean the food analogy often comes into play where those things can be be justified in this idea if, if they're enjoyed in in moderation. <laughs> if if most of what you eat is healthy, it's okay if you you have a a sugary snack every once in a while. I like the food metaphor. There there are people who will only eat healthy food and will will never touch quote unquote bad food or or, or crappy food. And then there are friends of mine from high school who will will not eat vegetables and, and revel in how unhealthy the food they eat is. <laughs> I wonder what sort of correlations if we had perfect data about the sorts of games those different people play, if there are correlations between the sort of mental processes that that lead you to to live your life in in terms of the food you consume in, in one way with the the sorts of either entertainment or cultural objects that you consume. Is there a fundamental psych- psychological drive behind those that is transferable? Uh, but you have to be careful. Sometimes people are doing it as as some sort of social statement against political or culinary cl- correctness. People people will get into this. Oh, I'm just uh, I'm going to eat whatever I want to because I don't want to be told by the man, whoever the man is these days. And they'll do that the, for games too. But I'm just going to play The Sims. I don't give a crap about Braid. Uh, yes, or the most violent or misogynistic or whatever video game too. Anything political getting pushed into another 
another realm is going to start making people act tribal. Yeah, without a doubt. And it, it seems, I mean, I guess one of the interesting things is it seems pretty clear to me that there's a category of, I wouldn't say mainstream because they're not mainstream. What the odd thing is the there's a there's a group of people there's a community that that plays games that primarily plays games on a console. They play games like Halo, and they play games like the latest sports games. You know, and there'll they'll only be two or three games maybe that they need to play every year. And it's kind of a subscription plan. When the new one comes out, they switch to that. And that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's just a it's a, it's I mean, a very different way of engaging. It's not the way we're engaging games. Yeah, absolutely. But it's part of what keeps the the industry in business. I mean, especially if people start following, oh, I'll never pay $60 for a game approach, it, it'll collapse. Well, I mean, the same thing can be true. Same with the, television. The same thing can be true about the people that play Angry Birds and they play Words with Friends, and that's that's what games are to them. My my dad has been playing the same Angry Bird seasons forever. But many of those people would they've never have played Halo. They would never have played any of the conventional games we normally talk about. So it's it's actually I think pretty reasonable to look at those and say that in some way sort of like Harry Potter got loads of kids to read who wouldn't have before before at all. And so I don't want to exactly take Angry Birds into being Harry Potter territory, but certainly it, and Words with Friends, reaches out to a different crowd, and they at least are now open to games. Now it's the, the gateway the, track. The judges will allow take a, a Angry Birds and Twilight association, by the way. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's closer. I like Harry Potter too much. But yeah, the the idea of of the gateway drug or or getting your foot in the door is <laughs> an interesting justification for all. But sorts it's of it's things. not clear that it's really a gateway. It's not clear that that creates a gener. You know, the Harry Potter has created a generation of readers. No, it, I, it's it, just Harry Potter has sold a lot of Harry Potter books and movies, and wands and Marauder maps. Yeah, you're probably right. I I don't know. I want to see uh, I want to see data on that. <laughs> I thought this was a I thought this was a gaming podcast and not a liberal arts bullshit podcast. <laughs> well, you invited me to it, so I know, I know. You you knew what I was when you invited me to join this conversation, Brian. <laughs> the interesting thing is, people are going back. New viewers are going back and watching The Sopranos. New viewers are going back and watching The Wire. But I think it's very, very few people are actually going back to see Road Rules and watch <laughs> the first season of Jersey Shore. And I'm not talking about from nostalgia. I mean, you know, some people go and watch Saved by the Bell or some terrible show because they remember watching it when they were a kid, and that's a separate issue. But a new viewer would go, there's absolutely nothing here compelling for me. The newest version of it is probably better than than whatever came, what yeah, and came and out with that. Yeah, and that's no different from Modern Warfare or or the you know newest football game. I would say 
yeah, there, there's no reason to play Madden six if you have Madden eleven. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've I have I was uh, in a cabin with some friends this past weekend, and people were talking about being on the fourth season of The Wire in 2012. Uh, so that's definitely video games getting to that point, which I think in certain cases, certain games, touchstone games, they, they have this idea that it's it's not just the, the technology, it's the, the unique experience of the game drives you to to play something that is out, out of date in some way in terms of the marketing cycle. The idea that it can what, what am I thinking? That they can get past that in in the, the the quality of of the game that it it becomes a more a timeless expression, or or at least a uh, um an artistic expression with more longevity. The other question is, as games they gravitate more towards less high end or less trying to you know be the Crytek 3D engine or whatever it would be. Does that make it more likely that a person might go back to that? I, I struggle with this across all kinds of content, you know, where as things go digital, the availability of back catalog increases pretty dramatically. But most people never really jump into that, Netflix notwithstanding. I think actually television might counter that. Certainly the size of a rating share that's today considered successful is much lower than it was 20 years ago when there were four channels. It's not just because it's, things are splattered across lots of cable channels. It's also because of the long tail of, of uh, lots of other sorts of media sources like Netflix and video on demand. I, I have to believe that that is, is actually significant to the fact that a five or six million audience will will keep a show on the air today and probably would have gotten it canceled after the first night in the days of MASH. Yeah, well, there's there's also new viewership models that are appearing. You read the tech cord cutters who talk about how, you know, I just, I just wait for it to show up on Netflix a few years later, and then I watch it. And in some ways, I think my gaming habits are very much aligned with that, where I don't buy games for 60 bucks. I mean, the last game I bought full price was Amalur, Reckoning. And the last one before that, I don't even know. And you did that sort of as a gesture. Yeah, that was, that was Brotherhood and all that. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, we were talking a little bit about the idea of, of going back to, to, to older TV or, or games. I think there, there's an interesting, there's, there's an interesting discussion there to, to be had with the idea of, I guess, the, a technical baseline of a certain media. Sure, for, for movies, like old CGI looks a little bit dated, but for the most part, the level of fidelity or, or representation or whatnot that you got with, with film, basically, people were satisfied with that for, for many decades. Whereas with games, uh, the idea that games are trying to accomplish something at, or many games are trying to accomplish something at the leading edge of a particular technology uh, is often what makes it hard to replay games, if if only in the sense that they they become obsolete and 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 much more dated uh, faster. Or even the one of the games that I mentioned as a game that I love, Planescape Torment. I went. I tried to go back and and play it a number of years later, but 
was just sort of unable to play a game that was that, whose resolution was 480 by 640 on uh, a modern computer. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean the same the same issue comes up with television and movies. So in the sense where, like, I can watch an old black and white capital C classic movie in four by three standard def, but I want I don't want to watch a lot of content like that because it's inferior. And you know the the question always comes up: What about this? Am I going back for? Did you guys ever play Darklands? I did not, know. I don't remember it, no. It was a wonderful game. It had these bugs where the thing... I think the game was more or less unbeatable because it had a fatal crash near the end <laughs> that never got patched. And while there were some beautiful aspects of the game, the graphics weren't that great. I mean, the same thing is true for the original XCOM, right? The graphics weren't that great. And also there's a streamlining often that comes into play. And there's also ignoring... Super Meat Boy, uh, a theory of game design or or game construction where you sort of view old games in many ways as punishing the users. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where where, Nintendo hard, (laughs) yeah. Where where games have have gotten a lot. I mean, contrast an old style shooter with Bioshock, and it's just it's just silly, right? Well, be careful because to some extent. Bioshock was designed for consoles, and consoles are uh, shooters on consoles are of necessity much more forgiving because you don't have the mouse. What? No, that's not what I mean, though. I mean, Bioshock, anytime you died, you were just steps away from a resurrection. Yeah, and so if you ran out of ammo and you had a big boss in front of you, you could basically run at him for 10 minutes and hit him with a crowbar a few times and just keep doing that, and you'd beat him. You said ignoring Meat Boy, but Meat Boy had an explicit theory about that in the the idea that of of transitioning where the the difficulty is and and reward. <laughs> and I mean, that, I mean, that's an interesting like the the yeah, parallel it wasn't like of, you of died people's th- and it was over. They, that that was built into the concept, right? The, a game that wants you to wants you to to feed at quarters is going to have different rewards and and punishments than than a game that you download for for 10 bucks is but it is you know perhaps interesting the tracing the the evolution of those sorts of games and those sorts of rewards and mechanics you could probably see that as a parallel to different different film styles or 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 different ways of of making movies that that people did for a decade and and if you make a movie like that today you're you're seen to sort of obviously be doing it in in that style well i i almost think maybe a a better comparison is literature and talking about how like there was a period of time where literature was serialized and that is sort of reflected in a lot of the novels of the time right well the the idea that that the the mode of production had a a great effect on the the actual composition yeah and the the theory that i have that i'm sure is not creative in any way is that you have the coin-op games that were designed to eat your quarters, and then you had the the early console games and the sort of the modes of play, and the, eventually we get to Xbox gamer points and that being a big driver for games and that being something that's worked in. And then DLC changes the way we play games. Social changes the way we play games. You could probably break games with a, you know, a lot of blurriness into eras. I lost you there. Break games with a lot of bl- blurriness into arrows. So break break the development of gaming. 
into oh, okay. yes. like, oh yeah, this is clearly a post iOS game. Yeah. In in the Meat Boy book, one of the the interesting things that they also brought up is is the idea, uh, which is basically the idea that you expressed with the console is is that you know in addition to the the economic incentives of a game like Donkey Kong to make you insert coins, whereas the original Super Mario game was was hard and 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 took a long time to to get to the end and it sort of replaced paying money with a frustration of it, it being difficult as the Mario games expanded their audience and, and sort of changed who they were marketing to and how many people they were marketing to that was also a, a large impact on the the game design and and the difficulty level once you realize I could take a $40 Mac app and if I sold it on the Mac app store for $10 I'll make more money in the long run because I, I reach a much bigger audience Mm-hmm. Have we have we come to any conclusions, Tom? Where's your head? <laughs> I'm not even sure whether where our overall flow is for the hour. I think we've I think we've done a rehash of the whole concept of timing games and how you draw a line to worth in games, and we've touched on the theme of the evolution of games, but we really haven't gotten both hands into it. Once again, yes. Both my hands are in. <laughs> I feel like I got through my outline of, of points I wanted to bring up. Good. All right, I, I need to take off. You see, Tom, talking, you're yes. going to bed and Jim's going out again. Ah, uh, youth and living in the city. I, however, am going to go walk the dogs. <laughs> well, thanks, for your, thanks for your time, guys. We're going to have to, to make you sing next time, Tom, talking about the uh, classic games. Yeah, yeah I, yes, I did my research for that. It was shocking how hard it was to coherently narrow it down. All right. Have a good night, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Enjoy. Bye. Bye.